The Old Testament reading is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to to God. God. The epistle is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more 
have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass leads to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise out of respect for our Savior Jesus Christ. The Gospel reading for this first Sunday in Lent is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. As you've heard in the first reading, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan and as a result brought the curse of sin upon all people. From dust we came and to dust we shall return. But we also heard there in Genesis 3.15 the great promise of a, of a seed of Eve and Adam who will come and crush the head of Satan. And that was a prophecy foretelling of Christ. In the epistle lesson we heard how the first Adam brought the sin into the world and the curse of sin into the world but Jesus Christ the second Adam died on the cross and has paid the price for our sins and our sins are forgiven. In this reading, we see that Jesus is tempted by the devil on three different occasions. And each time, Jesus repels the devil by quoting scripture. And we see that he be- now is actively engaged as, as our Savior in his earthly ministry. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We pray. Speak, O Lord. Speak to each and every one of us here this morning. Speak your words of truth and love. Speak your words that assure us of your forgiveness. 
Speak, O Lord, and strengthen us in our faith. Speak, O Lord, for we come to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, we began to discuss the organizational values of the members of St. James Lutheran Church. And the value that we focused in on last week permeates all the other values that we're talking about in these coming weeks. And that is that we value being Christ-centered. To be Christ-centered means that we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. To be Christ-centered means that we believe that Jesus is our Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for us. To be Christ-centered means that we listen to his voice, to his teachings, and we live our lives by those teachings. To be Christ-centered means that we follow where he leads, wherever he leads us, even if it's into the valleys of life. And to be Christ-centered means that we tell others about him because he's their Lord and Savior too. In this message, we turn our attention to another core value of St. James Lutheran Church. We value being rooted or anchored in God's Word. It's our foundation for living and for good reason. Jesus is the cornerstone of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the main subject. He says, Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These scriptures are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yes, the Bible testifies of Jesus Christ right from the very beginning pages in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3, as we heard in the Old Testament reading, Adam and Eve were promised that one of their descendants would come and crush the head of Satan. And as we go through the pages of Genesis, we hear again and again of a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who will come and will bless all the nations on the earth. And as we search the scriptures, we see that there's prophecy after prophecy of a suffering servant who will come into this world and by whose stripes we will be healed, who will be stricken, smitten, and afflicted of God because of our sin. But because he's willing to endure this pain and agony of the cross, the sins of all people are forgiven. We read in the scriptures that this that this suffering servant becomes a victorious king who rules triumphantly with grace and forgiveness for now and for all eternity. Yes, as we read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we read of a very peculiar kind of Savior. We see this peculiar nature of our Savior even in the gospel reading, the temptation account. For following his baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit, yes, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. One would think that 
The Son of God would simply duke it out with Satan right then and there and just settle the matter. No. But no. The cross still beckoned. God's plan to rescue us had to unfold as it had been drawn up before the creation of, of time. God's Son didn't come to earth to save the devil. He came to save people, you and me. And that meant that he needed to be obedient to his Father's will. It meant that he needed to be obedient, even dying on a cross. It meant that he would have to endure ongoing confrontations with the devil. Like that experienced in the Gospel reading. We read of the first temptation. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It seems like such an innocent suggestion, doesn't it? In fact, it even makes a little bit of sense. It's quite reasonable. Jesus, you've been going without food for 40 days and 40 nights. Aren't you just a little bit hungry? And no doubt Jesus' stomach was growling. But Jesus rejects the temptation. He rejects the temptation because even though by rights, as the Son of God, he should be treated with great splendor, he came and he chose suffering and indignity instead. He came to, to this earth and he didn't even have a place to lay his head, the Bible says. He came to this earth and he was dependent on the benevolence of other people to provide for his, for his food and for his shelter. And part of being the Savior of the world meant that he needed to experience suffering of all kind. And he chose the indignity even of a cross. Temptation 2. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you're the son of God, the devil said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's like the devil is saying to Jesus, why suffer the pain of the cross? When you can reveal yourself with dazzling display that you are God in the flesh. I mean, think how amazing and spectacular it would be if Jesus were suddenly to jump from the highest pinnacle in Jerusalem and everybody was to see him fall into the, fall into the ground and then to have the angels swoop down and pick him up before he would strike his head on that ground. But that wasn't the way of Jesus, our Savior. He chose obscurity over the showy display of being God's Son. His deity is veiled. And we see that throughout his earthly ministry, with the exception of those manifestations, those epiphanies, where just for a moment he pulls back that curtain like we heard on Transfiguration Sunday, and there we see him in his glory as the Son of God. 
but he chose obscurity. He chose to hide his divinity. And we see that so clearly when he ultimately dies on the cross. Temptation 3. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is a pretty ballsy attempt on the devil's part to get Jesus to disobey his Lord. I mean, he just comes right out and says it. Jesus, just disobey your father. Put your will ahead of your father's will. Just worship me. And I'll give you all the power in the world. I will make you richer than you could ever believe. What a lie. Adam and Eve fell for it. But Jesus didn't. Instead, Jesus chooses a life of obedience. Jesus chooses a life of servanthood, of serving his Father's will, even though he knows that it's his Father's will, ultimately, for him to die on the cross. And so, there's good reason why God makes Jesus the centerpiece of the Scriptures. I mean, Jesus' story is, is not a fairy tale. It's not a, mytho- it's not a myth. It's not a feel-good story of sacrificial heroism. I mean, it's set in real time among real people who we have records of from historical data. It's God in the flesh coming into this world at just the appointed times appointed by the Lord Almighty. And it's Jesus who comes to do his Father's bidding. It's Jesus who comes to crush the head of Satan. It's Jesus who comes to rescue you and me. It's Jesus who comes to make it possible for God to look at us and declare us forgiven and innocent of our sin. Because he sheds his blood ultimately for us. It's Jesus who comes into this world and dies on the cross, yes, but who then rises from the dead promising everlasting life to everyone who trusts in Him. It's Jesus who comes into this world and who blesses the nations of this world. And all of these truths about Jesus are recorded for us in sacred Scripture. It took 1,600 years for the the Bible to be written from Genesis to Revelation. But the Bible tells us that all of these things were written All of these things were written about Jesus so that we might believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. That's why God gave us the Bible, so that we might know that Jesus is our personal Messiah, our Savior, and that in him we have life, real meaningful life here on earth, and real meaningful life in heaven. Luther adds, How then do we have Christ? Ah, you cannot have him except in the gospel in which he is promised to you. And so we study the scriptures. We study them diligently. 
because we know that in them we read of Jesus and in Jesus we have everlasting life. There really is no more valuable gift than the Word of God. Martin Luther says, Among all the gifts that God gives to us, the gift of the Word of God is the most valuable. For if you take it away, it's like taking the sun away from the earth. For if the Word were removed, what would the world be like but a hell in a mere realm of Satan? For only the Word keeps a joyful conscience, a gracious God. The Word sustains the entire world. Without the Word in Christ, the world would not continue to exist for one moment. And then Luther continues. Therefore, though there are many great gifts of God in the world given for the benefit of people, yet the one gift which includes and sustains all the others is the Word, which proclaims that God is merciful and promises forgiveness and life everlasting. But I ask you, could this life still be considered life if we had to dispense with these blessings? St. James values being rooted in God's Word because there we read of a Savior who loves us, who died for us and rose from the dead. But there's a problem. The problem is this. The sun is being taken away from the earth. According to research for American Bible Society, there's an increasing percentage of younger people who are skeptical about the Bible. One quarter of non-Christian millennials believe that the Bible is a dangerous book, a dangerous book of religious dogma that has been used for centuries to oppress people. 38% believe that the Bible is mythology. 30% say or agree with the statement that the Bible is a fairy tale. Even among older people, people 70 and older, 25% reject the Bible as authoritative for their life. And so if we go to somebody and say the Bible says so, they would re most people respond, well, so what? So what? Keep your dogma to yourself. It means nothing to me. If you want to believe those fairy tales and those myths, then go ahead. But please keep it in the privacy of your home and your churches. You see, the truth is, is that God's truth is being replaced with one's own self-experience truth. Truth is as I define it. And Satan is having a field day, isn't he? With the me, me, me way of thinking. Oprah Winfrey, in a live appearance at UCLA's Royce Hall, explains why it's important for all of us to find our own truth. She asks, what is the truth of me? Why am I here? And what do I have to offer? Oprah asks, and then she responds, well, the answer is yourself. What is the truth of me? I am. Why am I here? 
to serve myself. What do I have to offer? Me, myself, and I. Would you agree with this statement? You have to be true to yourself. 97% of all Americans agree with that statement. You have to be true to yourself. See, many people in the United States have bought Satan's lie that life is all about me. And as a result, many people are living without ever knowing of this Jesus. They're living without God's mercy and forgiveness and eternal life because it doesn't fit into their understanding of truth and what's important in their life. And so the sun is setting. It's even true among Christians. More and more Christians, people who espouse to be Christians, are not reading the scriptures. They're not sharpening their thinking when it comes to thinking theologically. And the sun is setting. As Luther said, for if the word were removed, what would the world be like but a hell and a mere realm of Satan? When we do not submit our worldview and our beliefs and our values and our feelings and our behaviors to God's word, we end up deceiving ourselves. Just like Adam and Eve were deceived just like countless people are deceived. And Satan takes charge. And as the sun sets, if you will, what do we see happening all around us? Do we not see hedonism on the rise? That pleasure is the ultimate pursuit for us all? Do we not see self-indulgent pride? Do we not see people pursuing after power even at the expense of others? Do we not see that we're driven by the pursuit of having more stuff? It's in this environment that the Word of God becomes even that much more important for us to make as our foundation. It's within this environment that it's that much more important for us to value being rooted in God's Word. For we know that bread alone is not sufficient for life. And so we live on every word and promise that comes from the Lord's mouth. We know that sooner or later, the bread of life, I mean the bread that we consider our life, will all rot and decay. But the bread of life that Jesus gives lasts forever. The promises that God gives to you and me in his word are true for now and for all eternity. And we know that God's word also helps us repel the devil. Each time Jesus was tempted, he responded with a word from Scripture. So instead of putting God to the test, we resist the devil, knowing that he will flee from us. And we do so by committing the Scriptures to memory and using it as the sword of the Spirit that it is so that when Satan does come and tempt us, we can ward off those temptations of Satan with 
that one word that will fail him. And we also then conform and adjust our thinking to God's word. It's not the other way around. It's not God's word that needs to adjust its way to the way that we think and live our lives, but we adjust our beliefs, our values, our attitudes, our beliefs, our behaviors to what God says to us in his word. We worship the Lord our God and serve only him, not our feelings, not our cultural trends, not poll results, not even peer pressure. Instead, we search the scriptures to see what God has to say to us. And we approach the scriptures with confidence, confident to know that God will accomplish that for which his word is sent. We know that God's word is powerful and that it can create faith where there is none. We know that God's word is powerful and it can prevent and hinder decay, moral and social decay. We know that God's word can open up the door to heaven so that people can spend eternity there. And so what do we do? Well, as people who value being rooted in God's word, we grow in it, don't we? We grow in that word and we study it, we meditate upon it, we make it our own. And then we go into the world and we live it and we share that word with others, knowing that it's not going to be always well received, but we go anyways with the confidence that God's spirit can work faith in the hearts of others and, and the love of Jesus can become meaningful to other people. And then we gather together. We gather together around that word in worship, in Bible study, in service groups, even in our meetings. And that word of God again and again reminds us that we are his redeemed, his loved and forgiven people now and forevermore. That's a message that all the world needs to hear. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.